All right. Well, let's get started here. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will get started. Um, once we actually get started, I'll probably pull up Zoom and watch Zoom. Um, we've got a couple people on Zoom, and I can actually see faces, so that's kind of nice. But let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will get started. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you for your provision and your care. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, fellowship together and to uh, enjoy uh, enjoy each other's company this morning. We pray that you would continue to uh, work in the whole coronavirus situation. We pray that you would help people to get better. And we pray that the spread would slow and that businesses and individuals would be able to return to uh, their normal activities so that they can return to work and be able to uh, do good for others. We pray that you would challenge our hearts with the story from Jacob's life today. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be in Genesis 34. I'm going to pull up Zoom and get my notes a little bigger. Genesis 34, what makes a hero? What makes a hero? Do you like heroes? I like heroes, but I'm kind of exclusive in what kind of heroes I like. Um, a lot of people like fantasy. I'm not really big into fantasy. I don't mind it being set in a different time period, but I don't really like fantasy heroes, heroes that are not able to actually be real. I enjoy studying real heroes that actually existed with stories that are actually possible in the real world. I like heroes. But what makes somebody a hero? And as we look at the story, really the story of Genesis 34 has no hero. Nobody is the person that we're supposed to look at and as we look at that person we're like, Wow, I want to emulate that person. That person is someone that I look up to and I admire and I desire to be like. Nobody in this text is that person. Absolutely nobody. In this text, everybody is living according to their own desires and their own ambitions, their own purposes. And as they do that, evil runs amok. Let's read Genesis 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attached to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the livestock in the fields. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. 
Bahamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife, and make marriage with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to his father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. Now the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father, and spoke deceitfully, because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our daughter to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. And to us. But on this condition we will consent to you, if you will become as we are. If every male of you is circumcised, then we will give you our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem his son came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us, therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of this city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house, and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain, and plundered the city, because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys that was in the city, and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, and all their wives they took captive. And they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather together to, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? The big idea of Genesis 34 is when we are complacent with sin, we are not heroes in God's eyes. When we are complacent with sin, we are not heroes in God's eyes. It really picks up, or the book of Judges will really pick up on some of these ideas where people are just doing what is right in their own eyes. They're not living in obedience to God. They're not living in faithfulness to God. It's interesting 
complacency with sin runs amok in the very start of this passage. And so as you begin to read the passage, you see Dinah is seized by Shechem and she, he, she is abused by him. She is mistreated. She is raped by this man. And you and I know what has just happened in Jacob's life. Jacob has just gone through an amazing encounter with God by the river. And as he goes through that encounter, he is confronted with truth. He is confronted with who God is. That God is the God who fights the battles for him. And that he doesn't need to practice this deceitfulness, this cunning anymore. Instead, he can allow God to fight and that God will care for him and that God will provide for him. And as we saw in chapter 33, he, he lives in obedience to God. He gives up his self-reliance. He turns to God and allows God to change him and also to change his brother. And it's a marvelous story we read in chapter 33. And then we get to chapter 34. And the hero of chapters 33 has set aside walking by faith and obedience to God. And as he fails to deal with the sin that he is aware of, he really loses the title of being a hero. Because when we are complacent with sin, we are not heroes in God's eyes. Shechem insists that Dinah is acquired as his wife. And it's interesting, just note the, the dialogue that he has with his father. You have this man who, who takes Dinah, he violates Dinah, and after violating her and raping her, he speaks lovingly to her, seeking to earn her affection, her love. But he turns right around, and how does he treat his father? It really begins to show his true character. And while the text does later on say that he's more honorable than the rest of his family... That just means he's more honorable than the rest of his family, not that he's honorable. He tells his father, get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob hears about it. And what does Jacob do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. His sons come back and they hear about it and they are enraged. And as they're enraged, Hamor and Shechem come back to Jacob and they begin to propose this is what we're going to do. And it's interesting just to note the way that words are used in this text. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers. It's interesting. Shechem's father, Hamor is actually functioning as a better father in a sense. He cares for his son, and he seeks to provide for his son. Meanwhile, you have Jacob, who by the end of the text, who are they calling Dinah? They're not calling Dinah Jacob's daughter. All of a sudden, Dinah is Simeon and Levi's sister. Why? 
because Jacob has given up his responsibility to care for and to provide for this young lady. And so the brothers come and they hear about it and they are upset. And the brothers have been watching their father. If you remember, Jacob has been the deceiver. He has been deceitful. He has been pursuing blessing through his own means at whatever the cost. All the years that Simeon and Levi have been watching him up till chapter 33. And now they see his lack of faith and his lack of action in dealing with flagrant disregard for God's way of doing things. And they take lessons from their father. What do they do? How do they act? Verse 13, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father, and spoke how? Deceitfully. Because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said, We cannot do this. We can't enter into this agreement. In verse 10, So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. That's the deal. Let us have Dinah for my son to marry, and you guys can stay here in peace, and you guys can become wealthy. And if Jacob had had his way, he would have done that. He was happy with that idea. It becomes really apparent that he was happy with that idea because he's not the one that's actually interacting about how this whole bargain should go. His sons are the one who come over and take over the bargaining. If he really wanted to seek justice and find what was the right course of action, he could have done something in verse 5. But he waits, his sons come back, and then his sons begin to be the people who are negotiating. And they say, oh no, we can't do that. Because you guys are uncircumcised and we're circumcised people. And if we're going to intermarry with you and have this close relationship, you must become like us. You must pursue circumcision as well. And the men go back to their home. And as they go back to their home, it becomes apparent that complacency with sin leads to more sin. Jacob is complacent. He's complacent with his own apathy. He's complacent with his the treatment that his daughter has received. He's okay. He doesn't care. He's a horrible, horrible father in chapter 34. And as his sons watch his lack of faith and his complacency with sin... It leads them to sin. It leads them to disobedience. It leads them down the same path that Jacob tried for years and years of his life. Over 20 years of Jacob's life have been spent pursuing deceitfulness and trying to deceive and connive and to work out his end desire, his end goal, his, his ambitions. And in chapter 32, he learns that that doesn't work, that God is the God who fights. That doesn't mean you don't do anything. It's almost like he hears, oh, God fights for me. 
I'm not going to do anything anymore. And so you get to 34, chapter 34. His daughter is raped, and he sits there and does nothing. And I'm not saying that what Levi and, and Simeon go and do is right. No, the text does not tell them that what they did is right. And in fact, at the end of Jacob's life, he's going to curse Levi and Simeon for their brutal action in this chapter. But it's because of his lack of faith. It's because of his complacency with sin that leads to this other sin. When you and I walk through life and we disobey God's word, we fail to live in obedience to God's word, we fail to walk by faith. And when we see sin in our family's life, when we see sin in our friend's life, when we see sin in our church's life, when we see sin in our own lives, and we say, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We can just brush it off. It's okay. Nothing to worry about. We'll be fine. It's just a little sin. The danger is that it leads to more sin. And that's exactly what happens as we enter into verses 20 and following. It's interesting, in verse 10, Hamor and Shechem tell the Israelites, Hey, enter into this treaty with us. You guys will acquire possessions. You'll have stuff. You'll be buying and trading and you'll be acquiring possessions. You'll have freedom and the land to buy. It'll be great for you, Israel. And then we get to chapter 34, verse 20, and we watch... What do Hamor and Shechem go and tell their own people about this whole situation? These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to be one people if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Which one is the lie? These people are not moral people. These are Canaanites. They're they're bad people. They're people in the land of Canaan, and they deal deceitfully as well. They're not completely innocent as is demonstrated by the first part of chapter 34 where he rapes a young woman. But the text moves on and the men agree that this is the course of action we will take. We will all pursue circumcision. We will all do that. And as they all enter into that agreement, as they all choose to voluntarily undergo circumcision, three days later they're all in extreme pain. And all the men who are able to go out of the city gate, that is, able to go into war, are unable to do that. They're unable to defend themselves, they're unable to defend their family, they're unable to defend 
their possessions. And it's at this point where the deceit that is mentioned in verse 13 is really seen. Levi and Simeon take two swords, strap them to themselves, they enter the city when the men are completely unable to defend themselves and their loved ones. And they begin to slaughter Hamor and Shechem. They rescue their daughter and they proceed to kill the entire population of men in the city. And they capture everything that the city had. They plundered them. It was evil. It was wrong. Yeah, Jacob was wrong too, though. And it's because of his complacency, his willingness to, to just let the sin go and to not deal with it. The rape that his daughter experienced. And I, I would also say, to a certain extent, his past sense of deceitfulness. His sons have watched him for the past 20 years. And it appears, when you get to chapter 32, that Jacob's deception over the past 20 years has been successful. Right? I mean, if you were one of Jacob's children, and you were just thinking monetarily, your dad came from the land of Israel to Padanaram and he works for 20 years he had nothing at the beginning now he has four wives 11 sons one daughter countless flocks so that he can send his brother 500 herd animals from his herds you would probably be like you know the deception has worked for dad so far too and so Jacob's failures are beginning to demonstrate themselves to a greater degree to, um, to the community and, and seen in his family as a result of his past sin and his current sin. They enter, they kill the entire city. And, and you wish that you could say that Jacob at this point realizes, you know, I was complacent, I was willing to allow the evil to go unchecked, I was wrong at this point, at the beginning of chapter 34, I have been wrong, sons. When I acted deceitfully with my brother Esau, when I acted deceitfully with your grandpa Laban, when I acted deceitfully all those other times, and when I tried to deceive God in chapter 32, and when I tried to deceive my brother Esau again in chapter 32, when I deceived my dad back in chapter 27 or 28, all that was wrong and it wasn't worth it. It was, it was a horrible choice. I should have never done that. But as Jacob looks at the situation, his concern is not the sin of his sons, it's not the, the harm that has been caused the people that lived in this town where Hamor was ruler. It's not for them. It's all about himself. It's all about me. Note his response in verse 30. You have troubled 
me, by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather together themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Eight times he uses the personal pronoun, the first person pronoun, I or me. And in the Hebrew, I think there's like only 16 words there. The guy is really possessed with his own his own attention and his own um, preservation. He's not concerned about his son's sin. His anger isn't, you guys did something wrong. You offended a holy God. Cut it out. His problem isn't that these men were killed mercilessly and it was horribly wrong. No. Jacob hasn't learned anything from chapter 34. He's still complacent with sin. His only concern, once again, is number one, himself. And it's demonstrated in verse 30 by an abundance of these first-person pronouns. I, me, my. And all this problem is traced back to Jacob. You're the father. You have the responsibility to parents, to train, to direct your children, to model righteousness and faithfulness for them. And you've failed in the past. God rebuked you graciously in chapter 32. In 33, we're like, wow, Jacob's changed. Look at this man. And then in chapter 34, you have this. And his sons get the last word. His sons are not just. His sons are also wrong. This is showing us the danger of failing to consistently walk by faith and the, the danger of being complacent with sin. When you and I fail to walk by faith, when you and I become complacent with our own sin or the sin in the community that we're around, we are not heroes. And I like heroes. And you probably like heroes too. And I want to be a hero. You know, Anastasia thinks I'm a hero just for like giving her a nutty buddy. She likes nutty buddies. Or taking her out to the swing set. We have a swing on the porch. I do those things to Anastasia, I'm a hero right now, right? But in three years, is that what she's going to look to and say, wow, I got a nutty buddy today and I got to go on a swing. Dad is a hero. Hopefully she's grown, she's matured, and she's like, you know what, that's really not the description of a hero. And hopefully by the time she's 10 and 18 and 25, she says, you know, I appreciate that dad took the time to get to know me by doing those things with me. And they gave him an opportunity to minister. But primarily, he's a hero because he walked by faith. And he wasn't complacent with his own sin. 
first of all. And secondarily, he took time to correct and shepherd and direct my own heart. That's what a hero is. And Jacob is not a hero. Look at the critique, the last words that the text gives us on this story. It's, it's a condemning statement from his sons that have just committed an atrocious act. But even they look at this and like, Dad, you're not the hero here either. You failed to walk by faith. You've been complacent with sin. You're not any, any better. After his self-focused, I, me, my, my concern about my own preservation, not about God's righteousness, not about the holiness of God, not about the vast evil that his sons have done in killing, not in the vast evil that they've done in following it up by uh, plundering. No. It's me. And his sons come and they say, should he treat our sister like a harlot? And the implied answer is no. Now, should the sons of Jacob have treated the men of Hamor's city like they did? No. But when we're complacent with sin, it leads to more sin. And so the danger is for you, the danger is for me to refrain from being complacent with sin. How are we supposed to respond? Faithfulness, faithlessness hinders our effective ministry. When you and I fail to walk in obedience, when we fail to walk uprightly and holy lives before God, it affects our ministry. It hurts us. It prevents us from having the opportunity to point others in our community to the awe-surpassing splendor of Jesus Christ and the message of hope and peace that is found in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God sent his only son into the world to die for us so that he could pay the penalty that we deserve so that all we have to do is Acknowledge that we are indeed sinners, that we are separated from God, and that we are in desperate need of God's forgiveness. And turn to Him in faith and receive His free gift of salvation. And when you and I fail to walk by faith, when we fail to live out the implied response the gospel demands of us, The result is our ministry is hindered. I think the text also calls on you and I to confront sin in our own life, in our own, own community. Complacency with sin leads to more sin. It's ugly. It's raw. But it's the truth. And unfortunately, Jacob hasn't learned the lesson by the end of this chapter. He's still looking out for his own safety. He's still looking out for his own preservation. He's not concerned with dealing with 
sin that is running muck in the early part of the chapter. And as a result, more sin creeps into the chapter. Is the same thing happening in your family? Is the same thing happening in your neighborhood because of your unwillingness to confront sin? Is the same thing happening in your community of believers because of your unwillingness to confront sin? And finally, you might be thinking through this passage, and as you look at this passage, it, it brings back um, reminders of your own failures to deal with sin as God would desire for you to deal with sin. Maybe it's not as blatant and as known by everybody as this sin was. It appears as this, this sin pretty quickly, uh, pretty much everybody knew about it. Maybe there's some sort of sin that is hidden in your life and that the world doesn't really know about and you might be thinking you know I can hide this I can suppress this I can keep this to myself it's just it's just for me and it's not really hurting anybody else it's okay but the text is telling us that complacency with sin leads to more sin and you might not be able to imagine and contemplate and plan out how this sin that you are keeping and cherishing in your heart will lead to more sin. But it will. And what God wants of you is to turn to Jesus Christ, to be reminded of the gospel message that Jesus Christ paid the penalty that you deserve. And that as a result, he has given you his grace and you are able to look to him. And through that, you are able to live a life that is free from life-domineering sins. You're able to live a life that is characterized by walking in obedience and one that is not complacent with sin that leads to more sin. If there's sin that you need to deal with in your own heart, in your family, in your community, do it. Failure means a lack of ineffectivity. It means there's probably more sin and it's going to get uglier before it gets better. Deal with the sin. Focus on God, not on yourself. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the good examples. But we also thank you for the bad examples that show us the, the danger of living life in our own way and failing to turn to you and to trust you and to live in obedience and faithfulness to your word we pray that our hearts desires would be faithfulness to you we thank you for who you are for the fact that you sent your son to the earth to die for us in your name we pray amen
We'll have a Zoom prayer meeting this evening, at, or Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We'd encourage you to join us for that. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds here, and then I will turn off the video. But have a good evening. All right. Goodbye.